0: Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the Word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. The scripture reading today is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Marsha. That is Marsha, by the way, not Amy. We got that. (laughs) Morning, church. It is so good to see you all today. And I'm uh, glad to be with you. Uh, Those that are visiting or guests, we're really glad you're with us as well. Um, This morning we are starting a new sermon series that will take us all the way through October and November right up until we start a new journey through the church calendar uh, with the season of Advent. And so for the next eight weeks, we're gonna step away from the lectionary readings that we've been using all summer and fall so far, and we're gonna spend time in some various passages of scripture um, that will help us pay attention to what I think is one of the most important questions that we can ask as a community of Christ followers called the church. And that question is, what kind of people are we becoming? Or more individually, what kind of person am I becoming? We'll get to this Hebrews passage that we read in just a moment, but I wanna start in the book of Galatians. And Paul is writing here as a pastor to an early community of Christ followers. And in chapter four, he briefly, um, but powerfully summarizes both what it feels like to be a pastor at times, as well as what is the essential mission of the church. In Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now. So for Paul, he's asking this question of what are we or who are we becoming? And he's saying that his goal in life is to become like Jesus and to help others become like Jesus, too, until Christ is formed in you. And he wants this so badly, and he works at this so hard that he actually has the audacity to say, as a man, that it feels like I'm having a baby, right? (laughs) Now, he's obviously never given birth, but for him, this represents the hardest and most painful thing that a human could go through, that he could imagine. And he says, that's what being a pastor feels like sometimes, which is why we need sabbaticals uh, (laughs) occasionally. (laughs) We have six practices that guide us at Antioch and they are simply our best shot at articulating what it actually looks like to practice our faith as followers of Jesus. Communion, formation, community, hospitality, justice, and Sabbath, you see on the icons around our space. And in this series, what we're really focusing in on is the second practice formation. Now, each of our practices has to do with a relationship that's being reconciled or restored. As Sean explained in our our new shirts, this vision of that which was broken being put back together in such a way that it's even stronger and more beautiful than before it was broken. That's what God, through Christ, is doing for the world, and that's what God is doing in us as well. Restoring Broken relationships. And the relationship that we're talking about with the practice of formation is the relationship that each of us has with ourselves. As strange as that might sound, that's the biblical assumption that each one of us is in a relationship with ourself that just like all our other relationships can be damaged or broken, it could be healthy or unhealthy, but is ripe for restoration and reconciliation in the gospel. And so in this series, we're looking at <clears throat> this practice of formation and really asking who are we becoming What is the process through which we become the kind of people that we want to be? And what does that look like? And so we sum it up simply by saying that formation is becoming like Jesus and in so doing, becoming who we really are, becoming more like our true selves. Or Dallas Willard puts it better like this, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus. Love that. Possessed and permeated. And so this is what Paul longs for, for himself and this is what he labors for, for his people to see them increasingly become possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus. Now you notice Willard and others call this spiritual formation. We just use the term formation, but we're talking about the same thing. I prefer simply formation because um, when we say spiritual formation, we're not just talking about one part of us that happens to be our spiritual part, as if God isn't interested in the whole person. We're talking, when we say spiritual formation, we're saying that this is something that the Spirit of God does in us. That's why it's spiritual formation. Being formed into somebody who's increasingly becoming like Jesus is not something that we can do for ourselves. It's something that is done for us by God the Holy Spirit. So in other words, having Christ formed in us isn't a burden or a job or a responsibility or a duty or an obligation. Having Christ formed in us is a gift, It's something that only God can do, and we receive it along with the rest of our salvation by grace through faith in His Son. So formation, it's a practice, but before that, it's a gift. But just because it's a gift, it doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play in it. All of our teachers in the room, we know that it's our job to teach, but it's the student's job to learn, right? And so this is where the church comes in. One of the ways that we ought to think about the church is as a classroom where Christ is being formed in his people. C.S. Lewis said the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ, to make them little Christ's if they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. I might not say that the church exists for nothing else and it's all a waste of time, but I would say that if the church isn't working hard to form Christ in the people of God, then we're doing it wrong. So the question is, How does the church cooperate with the Spirit of God in forming women and men who are increasingly becoming like Jesus? So we all know that churches have all different kinds of groups and ministries and outreaches classes, programs, men's groups, women's groups, youth groups, singles groups. We go on retreats and trips and all that kind of stuff, and that's all good, but primarily throughout the history of the church, the main and focal classroom for formation into Christ is the Christian worship service. It's what we do here on Sunday mornings, along with billions of others of Christ followers around the world. And so it's not the only thing church is, it's not the only thing church does, and it's not the only force for formation in our lives, but I'd like to suggest to you that what we do here on Sundays, week in and week out, is actually probably a much bigger deal than you realize when it comes to shaping the kind of people we're becoming. Because whether you realize it or not, The way we worship deeply shapes what we believe and how we live. The way we worship deeply shapes what we believe and how we live. This is something that Christians have known for a long time. And one of the ways this was articulated by the early church was with some variation of this Latin phrase, which I'll try to pronounce, lex orandi, lex credendi Lex vivendi, which translates, as we pray, so we believe, so we live. Our prayers, meaning the songs we sing, the creeds we confess, and the prayers we pray, shape our beliefs. And our beliefs, in turn, shape our lives and ultimately who it is that we're becoming. Deborah Reinstra, as a professor at Calvin University, and she puts it like this. In a fundamental sense, worship language, like all of worship, is formative. The words we hear, sing, and speak in worship help form our images of God, our understanding of what the church is and does, our understanding of human brokenness and healing, our sense of purpose as individuals and as a church, our religious affections, awe, humility, delight, contrition, hope, our vision of wholeness for ourselves and all creation, and our practices of engaging with God, with each other, and with the world. So the way we worship deeply shapes what we believe, and how we live. So when we talk about the songs, the prayers, the creeds, the sermons, the various components that make up our Sunday services, what we're really talking about is this thing called liturgy, liturgy. Now it's a strange churchy word that doesn't get used very often um, outside of various faith communities, but the truth is liturgy is actually something that shows up in all kinds of places in our lives. So liturgy in general, you can think of it as the set of ideas or phrases or practices that groups of people share in when they gather together. So sometimes the liturgy is clearly articulated or spoken, and sometimes it's sort of just assumed or unspoken. But every time a group of people gets together, there's essentially a liturgy that they follow. So for example, if you have a weekly team meeting at work where you get together, there is a liturgy to that meeting. And it may include some announcements, it may include some reports, it may include some instruction, it may include reviewing our goals or our protocols or whatever it is, and then there's a dismissal. But with most meetings, with small or large, formal or informal, there's some sort of order, some sort of flow, some sort of liturgy to them. So all meetings, groups, and gatherings have liturgy, that includes church services. Every single church has a liturgy. Sometimes we talk about liturgical or non-liturgical churches, and I know what people mean by that. But the truth is, all churches are liturgical. All churches have an order of service to their worship. They have various components and various elements that make up their gathering. And so every single church is liturgical. There's no such thing as a church without a liturgy. The question is, if the way we worship shapes what we believe and how we live, then how is our liturgy forming us? How is the way we worship shaping us? Um, When I was on sabbatical this summer, Every Sunday that I could, I visited a different church and got to visit churches all over the place, in Montana, British Columbia, Portugal, and Spain, um, around Central Oregon, over in the valley. And um, as much as I tried to simply participate in the worship at each service I went to, I couldn't help but pay close attention to the liturgy itself, to the various orders of worship and components and elements that make up different services and kind of asking this question, why does this church do what they do? Why do they do it the way that they do? Why do they talk about it or not talk about it the way that they do? And most importantly, what is the congregation being invited into here? What kind of people, what kind of disciples of Jesus are being formed by this liturgy? By these practices that they participate in week in and week out. Because liturgy isn't just something we do, it does something to us. Liturgy isn't just something we do, it does something to us. So the word liturgy literally means any guesses? The work of the people. Some of you are wondering why there's a sign that says work behind me. It doesn't say woke, by the way. (laughs) And we're not about like a works-based salvation or something like that. The word liturgy means the work of the people. And it shows up several places in the scriptures, but one of the most clear is in Romans chapter 12. And I'll read it in the New King James because I like it best for this verse. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word service is where we get this word, liturgy. The idea of public service. Serving, working, showing up with a job to do. Most other translations simply translate it as worship, which is correct. The work of the church is to worship, but sometimes we forget the nature of what that worship is supposed to be like. So for followers of Jesus to show up on Sundays as worshipers is an act of service. Have you ever wondered why church gatherings are called church services? Who's doing the serving? Who's being served? It's not worshipers or or people that are coming and being served by the staff or served by the pastors. We are the ones who are serving. We are showing up as worshipers. Liturgy, worship, is the work of the people. So when you show up on Sundays, I hate to break it to you, but you're showing up for work. (laughs) You're showing up not as an audience member, not as a spectator. You're showing up as a worshiper. This isn't always how people talk about church, especially in you. U.S. Evangelicalism that many of us know. We live as Americans in a consumer society. where assigned consumer identities, and that mentality easily slips into the church, that we become consumers of spiritual goods and services, showing up to be served. But Eugene Peterson has a drum a bomb to drop about this. He says the cultivation of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of a sacrificial deny yourself congregation. A consumer church is an anti-Christ church. Because as we pray, so we believe, so we live. Liturgy isn't just something we do, it does something to us. Especially when we're talking about our liturgy that we participate in week after week, month after month, year after year. It's really not the once-in-a-lifetime experiences that do the most work informing who we are. It's how we spend our minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. The things that we repeatedly do are the things that are really shaping us and determining what kind of person we're becoming. Now, we all understand the power of habit and practice and repetition in a bunch of other areas of life. Right? Like, we see at any time that we're trying to learn a new skill or improve our ability or something like that. We understand the idea of practice, of repetition. So in our home, Emma is constantly practicing her cheers as a cheerleader, and Mo is practicing new tricks on his skateboard, and Myla is practicing songs on the piano, the same songs over (laughs) and over and over again. And that makes sense, right? That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how we're formed. Maybe you've read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, where he kind of popularized this theory that it takes 10,000 hours to master a certain skill. It takes practice. Tim Keller, the pastor, tells young pastors that the first 200 sermons you preach are going to be terrible. (laughs) It takes Practice. It takes repetition. We all understand that formative power of repetition in other areas of life, and it works the same way when it comes to spiritual disciplines, when it comes to liturgical ry- rhythms, when it comes to the formation of our souls. So James K.A. Smith has written about this extensively, volumes and volumes on this idea. Let me just give you one quote from him. He says, there is no formation without repetition. Virtue formation takes practice, and there's no practice that isn't repetitive. We willingly embrace repetition as a good in all other kinds of sectors of our lives, to hone our golf swing, our piano prowess, our mathematical abilities, for example, reading also. If the Sovereign Lord has created us as creatures of habit, why should we think repetition is inimical to our spiritual growth? So my first question is, does anybody know what inimical means? (laughs) I looked it up. <laughs> Harmful, detrimental, opposed to. So James K.A. Smith is writing um, to this modern consumer culture within Christianity that tends to be caught up in the idea of authenticity and spiritual experience, and says things like, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship, which is true but we still have to think about what kind of people are we becoming? And if every church is liturgical, then how is our liturgy shaping us? And this is why the author to the letter of Hebrews is so passionate about followers of Jesus regularly gathering gathering together for worship. Verses 23 through 25, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is no formation without Repetition. Because liturgy, our way of worshiping together, forms us even when we're not feeling it. Even when there's no Holy Spirit high, even when there's no godly goosebumps, that participating in the rhythms of worship forms our faith in ways we don't even know. And that is why we don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Now, we're all gonna miss church occasionally, right? Just don't make it a habit. <laughs> we're calling this series, The Work of the People, how our worship forms our faith. And what we're gonna do for the next eight weeks is walk through the various elements and movements that make up our Sunday services here at Antioch. I know that most of us have been part of other churches at one point or another, and some of what we do here at Antioch, to some of us, feels really familiar or really similar to uh, previous churches, and some parts of what we do here feels really new or different. Or strange in in some way or another. And so um, if you've got those kinds of questions about why we do what we do here on Sundays, then we're going to talk about some of that stuff. Because I realize um, that what we do here is somewhat unique in the sense that um, it's highly liturgical in the the common sense of that word. Right, that we have prayers and we have proclamations, we have creeds, we have kind of an order of service that's in your when uh, the chair in front of you that we follow fairly closely every week. And so there's a lot of that. what we do is traditional and historical. Um, but at the same time, we aren't affiliated with any historical denomination or tradition other than the grand universal church of Christ. So we don't have any like fancy robes or cool hats or anything like that. Um, so what we're doing here is somewhat eclectic um, for better or worse. Um, Let me start by just kind of giving you a quick overview of where this series is going to go. And uh, I want to introduce the vocabulary of movements and elements. And so our worship service has four main movements. The four main movements are gathering, listening, communing, and sending. Now, you don't have to, like, memorize this or whatever. Just show up a few weeks in a row and you'll get it. This isn't something we made up. This is essentially how every Christian church patterned their worship from the very earliest days of Christianity up until the time of the Protestant Reformation. If you go back and look at at church historians, um, I mean, there are people that have devoted their entire uh, professional careers to understanding the history of Christian liturgy. And essentially, you will see this fourfold movement of gathering, listening, communing, and sending. And there's so much I could say about it, but essentially, it tells a story because we are formed by the stories that we believe about the world. You could call it a worldview. The story we believe about ourselves, about the world, about God, about others, fundamentally shape us. And so this is a story that essentially retells the story of the gospel, that we are inviting each other as worshipers of Jesus on a journey every Sunday when we come together, inviting one another to join the story of God through worshiping in song, through hearing the scriptures, listening to a sermon, remembering the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus at the communion table, and then being sent back out into the world on mission with his spirit. And so the first half or so of every time we gather is under the gathering movement. It's where we come together and we declare our worship, where we sing songs, where we confess our sins, where we receive an assurance of pardon that we have been forgiven. Part of what we do every week, and most churches do a variation of this, we simply call a time of greeting. Sean said this morning, stand up and say hi to the people around you. Now that may just seem like something that we should do to break the ice or to pretend that we like each other or whatever we do. Do you realize that is specifically a biblical command given multiple times in the New Testament that the people of God ought to greet one another? How? With a holy kiss. (laughs) Now, we're kind of assuming there's some cultural tradition attached to that, but the principle is greet one another with love, with affection, like a family. Even touch each other, shake hands, hug, greet one another with Love and affection. In some churches, this is called passing the peace, where we say, Peace of Christ to, to you, and, and in response. We're not so worried about the exact words and forms of this as we are to say, This isn't a sporting event or a movie or a concert where you come and you're facing forward, that this is something that we come to and we gather together. It is essential for us to be a community that understands that the formation of our souls into Christ necessarily requires other people in the room. We cannot learn how to be people who love God with everything we've got and love our neighbors by ourselves in solitude and in isolation. The Christian community is the context for Christian formation. Now, there's a lot we could say about personal spiritual disciplines of prayer and scripture and fasting and solitude and all that. We believe in that. We encourage that. But central to this vision of being formed into the people of Jesus is that we are gathering together on a regular basis. Gathering together to God with each other. Here's why I think this is so crucial for us to talk about in this moment. It's because I think there's been an identity theft in Christianity in America. I think we have a lot of people going around saying things and doing things in the name of Jesus that Jesus would never say and Jesus would never do. Rich Velotas is a Puerto Rican pastor in Brooklyn, and he puts it like this. Evangelical Christianity in the United States is often characterized by a deep desire to have Christianity pervade our culture but not have Christ permeate our being. You get it, don't you? If we aren't actively, consistently, faithfully, and passionately coming together to seek the formation of our souls into Christlikeness, then we're doing it wrong. And there's all kinds of ways that this can go real bad for us and ultimately for the world. See, this isn't just about us having warm, positive spiritual experience. This isn't about us enjoying church and all that kind of stuff. As we seek to be formed into the image of Christ, it's for God's glory and for the sake of the world. We are called to be Christ's body, his physical representation on earth. And so we've got a job to do. Church, you've got work to do. And that work is to partner with the Holy Spirit in seeing our hearts and minds and lives formed into the image of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want to be like Jesus more than anything. I want to think like he thinks. I want to love like he loves. I want to believe what he believes. I want to see the way that he sees. I want to care about what he cares about. I want to hate what he hates. I want my heart to break for what breaks his heart. I wanna be like him in every way that I can, and I want that for you so badly. So what we do here on Sundays, it's 75 minutes of your week. There's a lot of other hours to talk about as well. But this, from the very beginning of this movement called the Christian Church, has been a central place where God administers his grace through gathering, through singing, through word, through sacrament, through fellowship, and through love, that we could be formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of the world. So that's the journey we'll be on for the next couple months. We'll talk about a bunch of the different specific things that we do every Sunday. If you've got questions, uh, email those to me, let me know why do we do this or why don't we do that or whatever. Um, I like our church the best, so it's not going to be like you know suggestions or whatever. But um, but I really do want you to understand why we do what we do, um, not just so you can know it, but so that you can be more fully engaged in the transforming work of the Spirit in our lives. Pastor Sean's going to come and lead us in communion.